Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we continue our series, The Gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 7, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, The Reason for the Spiritual Gifts. I have often thought about a God who not only would create a snowstorm, but in the literally billions of snowflakes that fall, everyone is unique, created with its own special and distinctive pattern and design. That's incredible. But perhaps that shouldn't surprise us. Of the more than six billion people who inhabit this planet, each has his or own unique design on the tip of his finger. Look around you and see the creativity and diversity of our God in the plants and animals he's made, in the variety found in every single area of nature. What does that tell you about God? How different God is from many human expectations. I find it funny that many social groups that stress rebellion and lack of conformity to culture, like the Hells Angels, for example, all wear the same clothing, all drive the same brand of motorcycles. They're not rebels, they're conformists. Now, of course, they conform to a different set of norms than the rest of us, but they are conformists nonetheless. Their motorcycle club demands it and reinforces it and punishes every individual expression not in keeping with their strict expectations. But, of course, that's true everywhere. In a world where we are constantly told to be unique and be our own person, how often is that denied in the expectations that are placed upon people? The fashion industry, the makeup women wear, the, the shoes on our feet, the cars we drive, even what the ideal body type looks like, how much weight is acceptable, well, that changes according to the whim of culture. It's been said human beings manufacture ice cubes. God creates snowflakes. Culture imposes sameness. Our God creates variety. And I say all of this because all of this comports well with the study of spiritual gifts. Now, of course, God also demands conformity. His commands are not optional. When he says we must worship him alone, he means it, and he demands we comply. Furthermore, when I began the study of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, I made a distinction between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And so may I point out that, that God seeks conformity when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. He wants the character of a believer to reflect love and joy, peace, patience, and so forth. The Holy Spirit is at work to make each one of us look just like that. But let me get back to my snowflake example. While it may be true that every snowflake is a snowflake, and yet there is a unique expression and a design in each snowflake. See, the same is true when it comes to our spiritual life. Underlying the fruit of the Spirit are the unique gifts that God gives us. God wants each of us to be unique in our expression of service to him. And so out of his infinite creativity, he creates spiritual gifts and then dispenses them in his most unique way. When we began our series on spiritual gifts, we made another discovery. We learned that no gift of the Spirit, be it tongues or prophecy, teaching or service, is any indication of just how spiritual you and I are. We learn from Paul that submission to Jesus or how we respond to Jesus and his demands for our lives, that is the only indicator of how spiritual or how far you and I have progressed in the faith. You might speak in tongues and prophesy and be 
insubordinate to Christ. The gifts themselves do not indicate spirituality. You know, years ago, I I met a man who frequently claimed to have a word from the Lord, but I also discovered that he was making sexual demands on some women, demands that, thankfully, these women had resisted. In fact, he was a predator, but that makes my point. What I'm saying does not mean that, that there's a problem with having a word from the Lord. But we need to look beyond the gift and examine the character of a man or a woman. The lordship of Jesus over a man's life is everything. All a gift can do is either to draw attention to that or to testify to our own hypocrisy. Well then, what's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Why did God give them? Why does he offer up this variety in his church? After all, isn't there always a temptation to believe that that one gift represents a super spiritual person like God's A-team? And the rest of the differently gifted are simply the also-rans or God's B-team. Yeah, that temptation does exist. Let's find out what the Bible has to say. I'm reading 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7. But there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You know, sometimes in our hurry to find out about spiritual gifts, we dive into the next section about tongues and all that exciting stuff and eventually disagree about the meaning of all of that. And we might pass over this text far too quickly and miss something vital. Let's not do that. Notice, first of all, what this text tells us about God. It tells us that in spite of the varieties of gifts, there is but one or the same Spirit, and that's surely a reference to the Holy Spirit or the third person of the Trinity. And then it tells us that there is but one or the same Lord. The Greek word for Lord is the word kurios, and that word always refers to Jesus. So we have here a reference to the second person of the Trinity. Then finally, we are told of one or the same God, and that, of course, is a reference to the first person of the Trinity, that is the Father. Can I stop just here for a moment and make sure that whenever we come across Trinitarian passages, that we don't pass over them too quickly. And since we have a Trinitarian passage here, which introduces us to spiritual gifts, it should signal for us that that no person of the Trinity ever acts independently from the others. And so when it comes to spiritual gifts, we're also reminded that, that the gifts don't work independently, either of God, his works, or his commands. The gifts are not intended as a free-for-all. So even while we are told about the diversity and the differences and the creative and endless variety that God places into his church, we are reminded that the reason for spiritual gifts is not so that we can all be different, march to our own drummer and become individualistic. Rather, our gifts should show something about the God we're related to. And that brings us to the basis for our unity as the people of God. Let me try to reinforce this. The basis for our unity as we participate in spiritual gifts is the one God in three persons that is the Holy Trinity. In other words, Paul is here deliberately giving us the Trinitarian formula reminding us of the God that we all serve. This one God exists forever as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, we believe in one God and only one God who exists eternally in three distinct persons. 
Now, the three persons, even though they are all the one God, do indeed have different functions. Here in this text, we are told of gifts, and then services, and then finally activities. Now, I don't think that Paul is saying that the Spirit gives gifts, and the Son gives services, and the Father gives activities. But I do think he's trying to tell us that there are unique aspects or unique features related to our gifts given to us from the three persons of the Trinity. So, for instance, we know that in our salvation, the Bible teaches us that that the Father planned the work of redemption, sending his Son into the world, and that the Son obeyed the Father and accomplished our redemption for us through his atoning death on the cross, and that the Holy Spirit applies that redemption to our lives in giving us a new heart called regeneration. In other words, we learn that the Father the Son and the Spirit play different roles in our salvation. Now, that's basic Bible teaching. So why should it surprise us that the same thing also happens in relation to spiritual gifts? And yet each person, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are fully God. The Son's not one-third God, but he's fully God, as is the Father, as is the Spirit. Now, I wish I had time to show the, the various biblical texts that reinforce that, but, but we move now too far beyond our text. It's important, however, to notice that Paul is giving us the equality of all three members, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that the full Godhead is involved in our spiritual gifts. And here then is Paul's point. Look at our God, he says. We see the complete unity of the Godhead, and yet the diversity of roles the three persons play in giving the gifts. Can that not also be true for us? Could we not also be a church completely unified and yet recognizing that every single member in the church has a unique and special role to play? Can we not be godlike in our use of gifts? Why should gifts be the cause of disruption in the body of Christ? I have so often seen spiritual gifts divide people. Let me give an example. Sometimes I hear people say, you know, I have a gift from the Spirit and I don't need to submit to the leadership of the church. After all, the Spirit's directing me, not some church. Listen, spiritual gifts are intended to enhance our unity, not divide it. Recently, Joy, who found us online, wrote to say, I came across Back to the Bible Canada by accident, as it was one of the first sites that flashed up in my desperation to find food for my spirit. Since then, my spiritual walk has never been the same. The teaching of Dr. Neufeld has opened up scripture for me in a way that I've longed for for years, but until now, never experienced. Our goal at Back to the Bible Canada is to ensure that people across Canada are provided the same opportunity as joy. Will you help us provide trustworthy Bible teaching to people who are desperate for spiritual food? If you'd like to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, visit backtothebible.ca or call 1-800-663-2425. Let's notice the lessons Paul has already given us in 1 Corinthians 12. First, spiritual gifts are not an indicator of how spiritually advanced anyone is. And if they are genuine spiritual gifts, they build the unity of God's people patterned after the unity in the Godhead. Okay, let's push this thing even further. 
Let's notice another feature in this passage. Three times Paul uses the word varieties. Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. You know, I spent some time with that Greek word variety, and I found something very exciting. The same word is used in Luke 15, verse 12. Now, you're going to remember the story of the prodigal son. The younger son was feeling restless, and he wasn't satisfied with his lot. And Luke 15, 12 says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided, yeah, that's the same word for variety. It's translated here as divided. He divided his property between them. Now, imagine that the father in the story has $10 million. And so he tells the son, okay, I'm going to divide or apportion out your share. Let's say the younger guy's share is $3 million. That's his portion. It's given to him. That's the same word in our text. It means a portion of something. Now, in this passage of spiritual gifts, the word variety means both variety and portion. Look at it this way. God has a full inheritance to give his church. But what is that inheritance and what is it that he's distributing? So let's cheat a bit and go ahead to verse 27, where it says, Now you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. God is, through his church, through every single local church, reproducing the ministry of Jesus. Every church is to embody the work of Christ on earth. In other words, wherever you happen to live, your city, your local community, well, they can't see Jesus, but they do see the work of Jesus, that is what Jesus is and does through the local church. So God is distributing all the fullness of the work of Christ to each local church. All Christ's work and ministry is given to the local church, not to the individual. Then you as an individual member of that church are given your share or your portion or your piece of that inheritance. In other words, you can't reproduce the ministry of Jesus, but we can. Now, I have a brother-in-law who's a dairy farmer in Saskatchewan. And one summer, as we were talking about getting older and what we would leave our children, he made an interesting comment. Here's what he said. I have only one farm with a farmhouse and barns. That's the entire industry. I can't divide that into four chunks and leave that to my four kids. Only one is going to inherit it. But although each of my kids will receive a very different inheritance from the others, they're not going to be the same, but it's going to be, he said, fair. I thought about that when it comes to spiritual gifts. It's not as if God is saying that each of us has, you know, our fair share of the ministry. That's not the point of the passage. Again, let's cheat and look ahead in this passage. I'm reading now from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, here the word is apportioned, and before the word was varieties or even division. These words seem to indicate that there is a whole of something. So, what is the whole? Well, the whole is the full ministry of Jesus. And God divides it out, apportions it, or hands out various pieces of it. God has his own sovereign designs. He knows how he's going to reproduce the ministry of Jesus in your local church. But please notice, they're his designs, and he doesn't answer to you or me as to how he apportions his gifts or his inheritance or his outworking of the ministry of Christ among us. But according to his designs, he apportions his share to you, and that share is not going to be like the share of the person next to you. It's varied. It's a variety. Of course, God has reasons for that. He's not giving you the full portion of the ministry of Christ, just a portion of it. So why? 
And the answer has to be, as Paul will say later, we are all dependent on each other. That's why you only get a portion of the ministry of Christ, not the whole thing. If you're going to complete the work that Christ has given you to do, if you're going to discover what your assignment is from God, you're going to find out that in order to complete it, you're going to need the rest of the church. Anyone who functions as a lone ranger has almost no idea at all as to how God has designed spiritual gifts. So what have we learned? We've learned that the basis for our unity is the Trinity. Now we learn that the basis for our diversity is that all of us have been given a varied portion of the grace of God. Now that we've noticed that, we're ready for the next issue. Let's get down to the details. Just to refresh our memory, let's read verses 4 to 6 again. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in every one. Notice three lines. From each line, we notice how God distributes the gifts to his people. Verse 4 uses the word gift and points out the variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. The Greek word here for gifts is the word charismata. And I'm sure most of you who are listening to me have heard about the charismatic movement in the church, which is a movement that stresses spiritual gifts, especially tongues, prophecy, healing, and words of knowledge. Now, I'm not opposed to that, but when Paul says there are varieties of charismata, does he mean that? Well, it's interesting to note that the word charismata is used 17 times in the New Testament. For instance, in Romans 6.23, we are told that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift or the free charismata of God is eternal life. See, there the word simply refers to a free, unmerited gift of grace. In 1 Corinthians 7.7, Paul is speaking about those who have been called to be married and those who are called to be single. And there he says, each has his own gift or his own charismata from God. So from passages like that, we can see precisely how Paul uses the word. Charismata is anything we receive in relation to grace. It doesn't have to refer to what we now technically call the gifts of the Spirit. Now, you might be surprised to hear that the most frequent use of the word charismata in the New Testament refers to the gift of our salvation. But we should also notice that there are times when that word does, in fact, refer to spiritual gifts as we understand them. For instance, in Romans 12, 6, Paul writes, having gifts, that is, having charismata, that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. You know, in this passage, Paul says that spiritual gifts differ according to the kind of grace that God in his infinite mercy gives us. That is, God will determine exactly how he apportions out his grace. Now, I hope you can see what that means. See, let me remind you of one of the most remarkable men in history. His name was John the Baptist. I want to repeat what he said, and I'm reading from John 3, verse 27. The context of the quote comes out of an event. John was losing followers to Jesus. And initially, of course, he was the hot ticket in town. But, but when Jesus arrived, see, all manner of people, including his own disciples, were leaving him. Indeed, one of his followers had remarked, all are going to him. So listen to John's response. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. See, I know John ministered before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and before Paul would have written that gifts differ according to the grace given to us. 
But John would have understood Paul's words. Indeed, he would have embraced them before they were written. And this, I think, is crucial to the matter of spiritual gifts. Many of us simply can't rejoice in the gifts that have been given because we so long for a gift that has been given to someone else. It's frightfully difficult for many of us to be content with the measure of grace apportioned to us. Some of us are even angry with God about this thing. We wanted either the gift of leadership or preaching or tongues or healing or administration or something in which we would gain significance in the eyes of others. But what if we truly embrace the reason for spiritual gifts? What if we actually internalize that the purpose of the gifts is to reproduce the ministry of Jesus among us? And what if we were content that Jesus would be significant among us, and we were given the joy of allowing God in his infinite wisdom to assign to us a measure of the ministry of Jesus? Would that be enough? Could we with joy repeat the words of John the Baptist? I must decrease, but he must increase. Less of me, more of Christ. I will rejoice that when God assigns grace to me, that I will receive it for what it is, grace, a gift from his hand, one that I don't deserve, but because of his abundant goodness, this grace is mine. And that's the reason for spiritual gifts. John, let me ask a question. You know, the spiritual gifts, they're given to believers. And, and so I, I'm, I'm sort of moving that forward to say, that would make sense then that if uh, you have a spiritual gift, which is for the mutual benefit of the body, that you should belong to the church. Yes, because, uh, you know, as we read through this text, we see it over and over and over again, the idea that each believer has been given spiritual gifts so that we are of usefulness to the body, but also we don't have all the gifts of the Spirit so that uh, none of the gifts are intended to function by themselves. They're, they're to be functioning in concert with one another. So when we talk about our own spiritual gifts and we're not using them in the context of our local church or with other believers in concert with others, well, then we've actually defeated the whole purpose for them. So we'll see that more and more, and Paul will build his argument on that. We desperately need each other, Ben, and so um, that's why God gives spiritual gifts. That's a great word. Thanks so much, John, and join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Ephesians Volume 1, Empowered Living, God's Glorious Resources, is your free gift this July. Christ has promised us every spiritual blessing. We were once dead in sin, but now we're alive and have become examples of the incomparable riches of His grace. Yet some of us live in spiritual bankruptcy, while the wealth of heaven is at our disposal. How do we access this true wealth? We hear about others who have, but we don't know how to achieve it for ourselves. If you feel the struggle, I have good news. We've been given the book of Ephesians, which provides us the tools for empowered living. This month, we're making Dr. John's series on Ephesians Empowered Living Volume 1 available digitally or on CD free during July. To get your copy, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.